0: Last week, we did something different. Um, You know, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, um, and that was a great thing. Um, Some people are wrongly saying that that abortion is over, and that's just simply not true. Whoever says that doesn't have a clue what they're talking about, Um, (laughs) because it's so obviously not. Um, And... We saw in the word of God where it says, do not show favoritism, do not show partiality. We saw that that command requires all people to be protected by the laws of our <coughs> land, even people who haven't been born yet, because they too are our neighbors and they too are made in the image of God. So there's not a, na- there's not a state in our nation that provides equal protection from all people, for all people. And that desperately needs to be done. So there are many in our nation, they've got a very ungodly agenda. They think women and and men too should be able to do whatever they want to, to babies who are on the way. And they're trying to persuade you of their position and of their opinion, And they are some of the loudest people I have ever heard in my life. They scream. They look stupid. (laughs) And ridiculous. Some of the things they say in the craziness of their logic. It's just absurd. And you don't need social media to see it. You can just see it in the media. You can just see it in the headlines some of the dumbest things I have ever seen or heard in my life have come in the last week and a half. So, they're not persuasive. Anyone who loves Jesus and who knows the least little thing about their word is not going to be convinced that they're right and we're wrong. But, while they're not persuasive, they are loud. They are very loud. They're like a giant 150-pound dog that is barking, but has absolutely no teeth. They got nothing, y'all. They've got their anger, and that's about it. They have nothing of truth, goodness, beauty, or substance. So they're loud. They aren't persuasive. But what happens to us, and what I hear happening to me, is that their volume, their loudness, their obnoxiousness, will, it can cause us to tone down our ministry. And it also can cause us sometimes to be afraid or to think that there's nothing that we can do. And that is simply not so. Proverbs 24 says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. You all... We need to think rightly about a few things. If we're going to stand up for righteousness and rescue those who are going to be able to be uh, who are are being taken to slaughter. There's two things I want to cover this week and today and next week. Today, we're going to cover one of the most basic teachings in the Bible about children. See, there's an entire religion in our nation that sacrifices children. That religion is convenience or career or reputation. And so they take babies to the false god, Moloch. If you want to know who he is, just look it up in the Old Testament. And then those babies don't get to breathe their first breath and to have the same opportunities that we've all had. You all, we have to think rightly about children. Children are of great value. They are a gift from God. And that's what we're talking about today. We will be in Psalm 127 today. It's page 575 in the Blue Bible. Next week, we're going to talk about the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Because they want us to think that they can do whatever they want to. And that how dare we say they can't. And so this matter of children, this matter of adultery, and just God's plan... For sexuality is absolutely essential for us to understand the basics of this if we are going to stand fast for righteousness in our nation and if we are going to work against the evil that has cost almost 70 million lives in the last 49 years. So, children, Psalm 127, let's look there. Psalm 127. I'll begin reading in verse 1 through 5, and this will be the passage that we discuss today at our tables. And I will read the title. A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies. In the gate. Take five minutes or so, read that to yourself as many times as you can, ask the Lord to speak to you, and um, let's have a good discussion. (laughs) So, this is a, a very unique psalm that we have. Sorry to cut you off. I know there's some good things being said. It's a very unique passage, and um, I've preached on it once before many years ago. And I went back and I looked at that sermon. I was a father, of, I think, three at the time. And I went back and I read through that old sermon, and then I've created this one. And it's very different (laughs) from the the main point of it's not because the Bible still says the same thing as it did six or seven years ago when I preached it the first time. But it was really neat digging into it again. And it's one that I read often. I, I go to this often as just a support and a strength. It, it, I go to it for personal support as a dad, as a parent. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm assuming I'm not the only one in the room that struggles with, but sometimes my attitude is pretty pathetic. And this verse can help me. Get in the right, step out of that sinful attitude and get right back where it is that the Lord wants me to be. So psalms have titles. And we often don't pay attention to those very much. And many times they don't make any sense to us because we don't know what the words mean. But the title of this one is A Song of Ascent of Solomon. What does that mean? Well, first off, it means that King Solomon wrote it. King Solomon was King David's son. King Solomon was the wisest and richest man in the world. King Solomon started off ruling and reigning Israel, doing a really, really good job. But he did not finish well. During his reign, he built the temple. And it was the most marvelous structure that had ever been built in the world at the time. And it was built for the purpose of worshiping Almighty God. And this psalm... So it was written by Solomon, but it's part of a group of psalms saying it's called a psalm of ascent. What does it mean to ascend? It means to go up. So Jerusalem, where Solomon lived and where the temple was, was up on a hill. And there were several different ways to go in the city. And it was common when people from outside the city would be going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. There were a number of different songs that they would sing as they go up the hill... To Jerusalem, and this is one of those Psalms. They would sing it as they were ascending and going up. And this Psalm starts off by saying, Unless the Lord. Say that with me. Unless the Lord. Y'all, we can't do a darn thing on our own. You know that, right? Can't do anything on our own. In these five verses, there are four things that I want to dive into today that God does. There are four activities highlighted in this psalm that the Lord is regularly working and doing. And I believe that these things... I know that these even if you don't have children, these things affect all of us in one way or another. Let me say it like that. If you have children, it's especially... Uh, Relevant. The first thing the Lord does is he's building homes. Verse one, unless the Lord build the house. The second thing he's doing is he's protecting cities. So he's creating and building. He's protecting and maintaining. He's watching over the city. The third thing, he gives an inheritance. Look at verse three. Children are a heritage from the Lord that word is often translated inheritance. So the third thing is that God is doing is he's giving an inheritance. And the fourth thing that I want to highlight is he's conducting warfare. Our God is a mighty warrior. If you want to dig into that a little bit more, read Psalm 120 no, read Psalm 24. Psalm 24. In verse 5 it says that he keeps his people from shame. In the face of their enemies. He keeps his people from shame in their face of their enemy. You all, God's providence, his control, his working behind the scenes on behalf of his people is all over this passage. God didn't just create the world and then walk away and let us figure it out. No, God created the world. And even though he does seem distant, he is intimately involved in every single detail of your life. His providence is all over this passage. And he is working to make sure that these four things happen. For all of you who walk with the Lord. He is working to make sure that he is incredibly involved in our life. So verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. What house are we talking about? What city are we talking about? Well, first and foremost, we're talking about the temple of the Lord. We're talking about God's house. You know, that was the old covenant before Jesus came and God actually lived in a building. I mean, he was in the heavens also, but his primary residence on the earth was in a building. Under the new covenant it's different. His primary residence is not in a facility like this, but it's in us, his people. So some things have changed since we first read this, but God's house was the temple. It was that building that Solomon built. It was a magnificent building. You could see it. It rose above everything else in Jerusalem, and you could see it from miles outside the city. So unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. It took many years for them to build that. But the hand and blessing of God was on the building of of the temple. Consider the Tower of Babel. People were building that, but God wasn't, right? And so it never got finished. So we also have the city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What city are we talking about? First and foremost, we're talking about Jerusalem. But I believe that there is an application from this passage. It's not; These truths are not exclusive to Jerusalem and to God's house as the temple. But these passages are relevant to our houses. This truth that unless God does it, we are doing everything in vain, that is relevant to your life. It is relevant to your family. It is relevant to your town and your community. If God doesn't watch over Gates County, this is not going to be a good place to live. You all, it is God who creates and it is God who maintains. God is building the house. He is maintaining the city. And you all, We need to know the difference between our work and God's work. We need to know the difference between our work and God's work. If you know your role and you know His role, life's going to work out really, really fine. But there are times that there's a ditch on either side of the road, okay? And sometimes you can think that God has to do some things that He wants you to do. Sometimes you expect Him to do things for you that you should be doing. And the truth is, everything that you're doing, He's doing in you. But sometimes we fall on the lazy side of the ditch, and we want Him to do things for us, and God's saying, I've already told you what to do. And if you'll just obey me, I'll take care of it all. But if you don't obey me, then you're not going to receive the blessing that comes without obedience. So there's that ditch where we expect God to do things that we should be doing. But then there's another side. There's another ditch on the other side of the road. And that is... Where, where we think God's distant and he doesn't care, that he is not going to take care of us or, or any number of things. And we think that we have to do our role plus part of his. And that's a dangerous ditch to fall into. It's one that I fall into from time to time. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, you all, we're always building and we're always watching. But if God is not doing it, then it doesn't matter how good we do it. Nothing worthwhile is going to come from our labor. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. You all, if we don't understand verse 1, we're gonna do verse two. If we don't understand that it is God's that, that that God has to be doing what we're doing in order for what we're doing to work. If we don't understand that, then we're gonna have a life of vanity, a life of frustration, a a, a lot of, you know, a, a life where we don't have much to show from our labor. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. If we don't understand verse 1, you all, we will do verse 2. So I got a confession to make. Monday, well, my first confession is that I, I struggle with this. And, and, and here's specifically how I struggled with this this week. On Monday, I, I, my routine is that I do a lot of my majority of my sermon prep takes place on Monday. So, if the middle or the end of the week gets out of control, I don't get in a bind and, and that's just kind of my my routine so Monday, I didn't get much done on my sermon I, I was focused on some other things and couldn't go to sleep Monday night. Uh, you know usually you know Jennifer and I lay down about the same time and and I'm almost always asleep before she is. It's very rare that that i she's sleeping and I'm wide awake, but that's how it was Monday night, and I thought. I didn't get much on my sermon done on my sermon today, so I rolled over and grabbed my phone and got my Bible app and I turned to Psalm 127 and I just started reading through it, reading through it, reading, read, read, it, read it nine or ten times probably, just praying. I was getting tired, but you know I didn't get much done on it Monday, so you know I need to work late. I need to get it done right. So I'm sitting here reading verse two. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. I think God told me to put my Bible down and go to bed. God told me to quit working. Because I was anxious, because I wasn't as ahead or or in I I was feeling behind. So it says, it talks about eating the bread of anxious toil. You all in the ancient world, bread sustained life. The bread we buy from the grocery store today isn't bread like we see in the Bible. Don't get me started down that rabbit trail. But the bread in the store today fills you up, but it does not sustain your life. It does not provide the nutrients that you need. But instead of eating that which sustains our life, we give ourselves over to anxious toil. We consume the bread of anxious toil, thinking that just as good, healthy bread should sustain our bodies and make it strong, So, you know, I got to work really, really hard to stay up all night and get up super early and live on three hours of sleep or five hours of sleep or not have a Sabbath day of rest. Like I've got to do all of that. That's the bread I eat. That's what I have to do to live. And if I don't do that, then I'm not going to have all I need. This bread tastes disgusting. And after you eat too much of it, you vomit it out in one way or another. And it's no way to live. You all, if we don't understand verse 1, then we're going to do verse 2. And we have to repent of living our lives thinking that everything is up to us. Everything is not up to you. It is not, God never commanded you to keep it all together. God never commanded you to get everything exactly right. But God has told us to be obedient and to love Him and trust Him and to confess and acknowledge that we can't keep it all together. That we can't dot every I, we can't cross every T, but we rest in the love of God knowing that his hand of blessing is on us and he will never neglect or forsake his people. You all, it is God who creates. It is God who maintains. It is God who creates in your home. It is God who maintains your home. It is God who creates and maintains your family. It is God who creates and maintains this community. It is God who creates and maintains this nation. It is he who accomplishes our work. It is he who gives us success. It is often true that in our anxious toil, when we think it's all up to us, we have very unreasonable expectations of ourselves. We try to stuff 14 or 21 days of work into one week. We try to stuff 24 hours of work into a 10-hour workday. You all, we often fail to take a Sabbath rest each week. And we often don't know how to say no to people because we are afraid of disappointing others. You all, we often forfeit the sleep that God gives to his beloved. Do you see the last line of verse 2? He gives to his beloved sleep. We forfeit the sleep that he gives to his beloved. And while we are focused on what we think we need to be focused on, the most important things around us are falling apart because we can't hold it all together. And sometimes we realize that we are neglecting the most important things. And we stop and try to do those things that that are more important. But we have so much anxiety because we're not doing the things that we think we should be doing. That we can't truly be present when we try to prioritize well. Because the anxiety is still upon us. This is not a sermon on how to overcome anxiety, but it is certainly connected to the topic. The thing we must do is recognize God's providence and his plan and realize our limitations and trust him to hold everything together that we think we should be holding together, acknowledging that we can't keep it all together. We really can't. No matter how much we love our family, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much I'm talking to us men, no matter how much we try to provide a great home. You all, we can't do all the things that we think we should do. But what we can do is trust God and be obedient to him today. So we see that God's doing two things so far. He's building a house and he's watching over a city, right? Here's the third thing he's doing. Verse three, he's providing an inheritance. You all, God is providing an inheritance. Where do I get that from verse three? Look at it. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. You all, the word heritage is inheritance. That Hebrew word is often translated as an inheritance. So children are a heritage or a gift or an inheritance from the Lord. We got a lot of parents in here. I guess every single adult in this room is a parent. You all children are a gift from God. Even when they don't feel like it, you all this stands true. You have a parent. You are a gift from God. Even if your mom or daddy does not realize it. Children are a gift from God. You all, they are a portion or a share assigned to you. Maybe you own property. That's your piece of God's world to take care of. Well, if you have kids... That's your portion, that's your gift, that God has given you to take care of. They are what you get to work with. They are what you will leave behind. You all, this word that means inheritance, um, or, or the idea of inheritance in the New Testament, we see that as Christians, we inherit the kingdom of God. The New Testament says that we inherit eternal life. The New Testament says that we inherit salvation. The New Testament says that we inherit the new heavens and the new earth in the day that is yet to come. Y'all, we'll hold on to that, right? We're excited about that, right? Do you consider your children gifts from God? Do you consider them gifts from God on the good day? Do you consider them the gift from God on a bad day? You all, we shall not squander away our inheritance Those of you with kids at home now, don't expect someone else to raise them for you. Moms and dads, that's your job. Kids, I guess my kids, y'all better raise your kids. Me and your mama ain't going to do it, you're going to do it. We'll help. You all, we can't squander our inheritance or take someone else to take care of it. Think about the story of the prodigal son. The two brothers had a wealthy family. The younger son said, Dad, give me my inheritance now. I want to go away. I want to get out of here. And what did he do? He went away and he squandered his inheritance. Do not be like the younger son. Do not squander your inheritance. So our translation says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Why does it choose the word heritage? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I think the most obvious one, though, is that your children are coming into your family story... And, and there's already history, right? From way before we were here and then certainly before your kids were here. But then so they're inheriting that, that they're, the story of the family is going and continuing through you. And they're they're It's like they are an inheritance, but they also inherit what's going on in the family. But then they're going to continue the family line. And so when I think the word heritage, I'm thinking about things that came before me and things that are a part of me and the things that will pass on. What will, my, what will I be known for? And so when we see that children are a heritage from the Lord, we have to recognize that, you know, in many ways, they're going to be what we're known for. Think about the people that you know. Do you... When you assess them, when you consider them... Do you think about their worldly goods, or do you think about their children and their family? What is it that makes a person and the substance of their life? Many times, if for parents, it has to do with their children. So you all in the ancient world, and in today too, not everyone inherits the same thing. You all, God doesn't give everyone children, and that's Okay. In households today and in the ancient world, you know, mom and dad die, not all the kids get the same amount. In the ancient world, the first son always got the most. And it's different for different reasons, some good, some bad today. You all, God withholds children from some, and just because God didn't give someone kids, it doesn't mean that they necessarily did anything wrong. God doesn't call all people to be parents. Some couples are only given a few. Some couples are given many. You all, what we must do as Christians is stop telling God how much of an inheritance He can give us. God, I want four, and that's it. God, I want one, and that's it. And I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from giving me what you think I should have. We consider children curses. We consider them burdens. And in that way, when we do that, when we think, you know, you know I, I don't want this. And I'm not just saying this because me and Jen chose to have a large family. I'm saying this because I believe this is what the Bible calls us to. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you get to control the size of your family. Nowhere in there. I'm not saying it's always wrong to prevent pregnancy. There have been times where Jennifer and I have had good reasons to do that. But what I'm saying is that your default mode is that if I have another kid, my world's going to fall apart. Then you're in sin. What I am saying is that I can only have this many kids and that's it. Then you're in sin. Most likely. I don't want to say that about every situation. But if you're here today and you think there's no way I can have that many kids. Don't put God in a box. Do not limit him. You think you can't afford kids? Let me tell you what. You can afford as many kids as God gives to you. Y'all know what the first command is that God gave to Adam and Eve? I know my kids know this, so don't answer if you're one of my kids. What's the very first? Does anyone know? What's the very first thing that God told Adam and Eve? I didn't realize this until five or six weeks ago the very first thing he told them was be fruitful and multiply. The very first thing. Y'all, that's important. He created man in his own image. And you all, God wants to fill this earth with his image bearers. If we are created in the image, that's uh, Genesis 128, if anyone's looking for that. Y'all... People are made in the image of God. Do you want people to see God? Then make more people. You all, the world we live in wants you to be scared. Well, you can't provide, so you don't need to have more kids. Maybe some of your family members have told you that. I've had family members that have been crazy stressed out over the size of my family. And they think that they have to take care of it. And I'm like, I'm a grown man. I can take care of them. Actually, it was to be more accurate... I'm a grown man, and God loves me, and I'm going to work my heart, my hardest I can, and the Lord's going to take care of us. Yep. We live in a world where people, even the people of God, even people who love us, get scared to death for us, and they're more nervous than we are, and they can often cause us to be more nervous, and we have to say no. We have to say, "Get behind me, Satan!" All right, don't call them Satan to their face, but you know that's the idea. You just that is a lie. God can take care of me. And you embrace the word of God and not the fear, not the anxiety and not the worry that God, that that people want to thrust upon you. Some people will tell you, many in the media will tell you that the earth can't sustain all these people. People keep having babies. There isn't enough. That's a load of garbage. I've done some reading on that. There is nothing true in that statement at all. And I wanted to ask you this too. Did you know that nations rise and fall as the birth rate rises and falls? Look at what's happened in China in the last 40 years when they said that you can only have one kid. And when the birth rate, when the average birth rate falls below, I think it's 2.2 or 2.3 kids, the nations begin to decline, You all, we have to recognize that God is building the house. He is maintaining the city. You all, as we consider verse three, we must think about its relationship to verses one and two. You all, these kids are from God. They are yours. But where'd they come from? God. Why do we fret and fear and act like God can't equip us to take care of all that he wants to give us? Dads, we worry that we can't provide. Moms, we say, well, some of you say, we'll be overwhelmed. We can never manage a household like this. And with both of those ideas, and almost every idea that says we need, we can't have more kids. We get stuck on our insufficiency and we fail to realize that it is God who builds the house. It is God who builds the house. The house, and it is God who maintains and watches over the whole city, including your house. Charles Spurgeon told a story of an old preacher he knew named Moses Brown. And Moses Brown had 12 kids. And once you get four kids, people think you're a whack job, half the people out there. They think you're a little bit crazy. so, um, And maybe you're guilty of saying something like this, saying something stupid to somebody who's got a lot of kids. (laughs) Um, But someone remarked to the pastor, Moses Brown, who had 12 children. And they said, sir, you have just as many children as Jacob had. Because Jacob had 12 kids. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And the old preacher, Moses Brown, said to him, yes, and I have Jacob's God to provide for them. You all, God is building your house and He is maintaining our city. You all, we reject this inheritance. We wrongly reject this inheritance and do everything we can to stop receiving what God wants to give because we don't understand verses 1 and 2. So, what else are we to think about, children? Let's cover verses 4 and 5 in the next few minutes. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Y'all, we're about to talk about warfare. Y'all know we're in a war, right? Anybody notice? We're in a war. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one youth, one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You all, we've got arrows. We've got a quiver, which is what holds the arrows. And we've got a warrior. Men... Y'all, we're fighters. Future dads. We are to be fighters. We're all in a war, but especially us men. You know, you know, we don't send women to the front line. Now, women fight to battle. Women have so much to offer. But men are regularly at the front. There is an assumption in this passage that men are people who fight evil and fight for what is good. You hear that, men? We lead the way, fighting evil and fighting for what is good. We are not passive victims. That doesn't mean you've never been a victim. Yeah, bad things have happened to you, just like they have me. But that is not our first and our foremost identity. We overcome those things as we walk with Christ. Men... We are warriors. We are not spectators. We do not put our wives out there on the front line when we should be there. We must lead, we must serve, and we must show the way. We do everything we can to build up the good while fighting evil. And this warfare language is connected to the end of verse 5. Look at what it says at the end of verse 5. He, this man... ...who fills his quiver with many arrows... ...shall not be put to shame... ...when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You all, there is an assumption... ...that you will have an enemy. I've lived most of my life... ...trying to avoid having enemies... ...and keeping people happy. I can't do that and please God. And neither can you. It is not our goal to make an enemy... It is our goal to follow Christ. But as we do that, we will have enemies. Men and women, do not be afraid of your enemies, but look to Christ. So I read some writings from the Puritans on this subject. And they say this about children. Our children are what we make of them. They are represented as arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. And you all, arrows go the way that we aim them, don't they? Arrows go the way that you aim them. And this op- application is obviously for mom and dad. Mom and dad, point your kids towards the price of Jesus. You've got 18 or so years Pull that string back. Make sure it's pointed in the right direction. One old Puritan says that we know that sticks are not by nature arrows. Right? Sticks are crooked, aren't they? A crooked arrow don't do you any good. It's not going to slay anything. An arrow does not grow straight. But it is made straight. An arrow does not grow straight, but it is made straight. By nature, sticks are knotty and rugged, but by hard work, they will be made smooth and they will pierce and destroy whatever you aim that arrow at. You all, how do we sharpen our arrows? And this is where it gets real practical. How do we sharpen our arrows? Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Men and women, you should know your kids better than anyone else. And you should help them figure out which way they should go, and you could train them for that and send them out to do it and change the world. You need to know your kids. You need to help them see what they are made for. You need to do things with your kids. You need to turn off the TV. You need to turn off the video games. You need to do something together. You need to work and play. I'm not saying you can't play a video game or watch a TV show with your kids, but I'm saying most of us do that way more than we should, and we should be doing other things and get a bit more creative and productive than what we usually are. You all, we need to lead our kids in family worship. This responsibility falls primarily on men, even for us who might feel like our wives are closer to Jesus than we are. That does not disqualify us from serving in this way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says these words, and this is going to be the first message of the parenting conference by Brother Carlton McLeod. He's going to preach on this passage. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In the New Testament, Ephesians 6, 4, it says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, we got to lead the way on this. Future dads, you got to lead the way on this. How can we do that? The way we've structured our worship time on Sunday at Hope Fellowship. Provides some steps for you at home. You always know what I almost always know what I'm preaching on next week. Read that passage at home with your family. Use the four questions that are in your worship God. What does that passage say? What does it mean? How do I obey? And, and how, do, how do you share it with others? Use them. Get them thinking about the, the passage before we show up here on a Sunday. Also, you teach them yourself. Do you see something in the Bible and know it's true? Then you teach them just like I'm teaching you. Step into that authority in your home. Our weekly catechism, use that worship guide. Take it home and memorize that with your kids during the week. Our monthly prayer guide, use that to pray at home. And we'll all be praying the same thing 31 days a month instead of just one day a month. And if you have some other type of system that's different from what I just mentioned, then use that. What you must recognize is that you have a part to play and that God is building the house. He is maintaining the city. And we must be obedient and do the part and play the role that he wants us to play. You all, our time to teach our children is limited, isn't it? You hold your children in the quiver for a while. They stay with you at your house for a time. About a year ago... I realized that Crete's childhood was two thirds of the way over. And that rattled me. Two thirds of my time with my oldest child is over before he's gonna be an adult. He'll always be my child, obviously. But there's gonna be a day when he's an adult, and our relationship is not the same. There's a time when we have to release them. I want you all to start training them early. And if you haven't been training them and have wasted time, now's the time to begin. Is it easier to carve an arrow out of a young branch or a big old tree trunk? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now, if your kid's already almost a tree trunk and you haven't been started training them, then start training them now before they get any bigger. It's not too late. Y'all, it ain't too late. We can't delay their training. You all, we must fight evil in the world today as these arrows are released. We know that arrows are used to kill. In the Bible, the bow and arrow, it's an effective instrument for war and execution. Archers were some of the leaders in the battle. And it is the sense of its penetrating and deadly accuracy that teaches us the importance of the arrow. And this warfare is not physical. We're not trying to end the life of people that we disagree with. I'm not promoting the conquests of church history that were just awful and politically driven. No, we are conquering evil in the name of Jesus by the gospel and by the spirit of God. And as we do that, Jesus changes sinners. He converts them. And he rescues them from their evil. And he conquers their evil. With the deadly weapon of our children that we send out into the world. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. It says in verse 5. You all, it is through our inheritance that we are blessed... It is through our inheritance that God providentially grants us victory over our enemies. Do you want to have victory over our enemies? Do you want to not be put to shame? Have a bunch of kids and raise them up faithfully in the ways of the Lord. And you will not be put to shame. Church, let's do this. Let's value our children. Let's love them. Let us show the world an evil world that wants to wipe them all, wipe many of them out. Let's show them how great of a gift they are. Let's pray.